Good morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All last month, we focused in on uh, our, our mission as a church, that unique calling that we have, that we were called to exchange everyday life for contagious Christian community. Now, that's, that may sound like a lot of sloganeering, but it really is what we're called to do, not just here as Royal, at Royal Redeemer, but as all Christians. We have been transformed by Christ who has exchanged his, perfect, his perfection as an inheritance as God's own son for our flaws and our sinful nature. This is what Christ has exchanged for us. Our sinful lives have been exchanged for the, for the identity as sons and daughters of God. And what we've been brought into is the very body of Christ, a body where we have the truth. A truth that is worth spreading, a truth that is uh, that we are called to, to share throughout the world. And what an amazing life that we have now, that we are in Christ. Because God has revealed himself to us and because he has brought us into this incredible plan, we have a truth. If you don't remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we covered uh, one of our values, which is that we have a truth worth holding. And part of that truth is that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That he came down into this earth, walked as a man, died for all, uh, as a man for all sins, of the, for the, all the sins of the world, and has brought us into his perfect life. And he did this without any requirement on our part. That's part of the truth that he has given to us. This is the gospel that God has revealed to us. But as being, as uh, part of the body of Christ, he has also revealed to us something else. He's revealed to us his law. In God's law, he reveals to us how he intended his creation to be. It's almost like the blueprints of what this world was supposed to be like. And that's what we're going to focus on a little bit these next couple weeks. The next few weeks, we're going to spend some time on how we, as the very children of God, as the body of Christ, can share that truth of both the gospel and the law with our friends, our family, and neighbors. Sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's really easy. It just flows off the tongue. It just flows right into the conversation. Other times it can be really difficult. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today. What do we do? How do we confront somebody, a friend, a family, a neighbor, who's making poor choices in their life? Now, I know from experience that this is hard. It's hard to go up to somebody and say, uh, I, think, I think you're going down the wrong path. It's hard to go to somebody who is making poor choices, and I think it's hard because we kind of have a distorted view of uh, some distorted views, and it affects our ability to speak the truth into people's lives. Some of the major distortions that we have is a distorted view of grace and love. We are the body of Christ. We have been brought into God's love because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. We know that he made this sacrifice. He gave us his life, not because we are more holy or righteous than anybody else. We're all sinners in this room. We all know that. But because of Christ, we have been saved. It is by the grace and love of God that this happens. But there's other churches out there 
that we see either on TV or that we've had experienced ourselves who also proclaim to be the body of Christ. But the way that they display it, they're just judgmental. They're just judgmental churches who use fear to motivate people to stay in line. And when we see these, uh, these churches, these people who are calling themselves Christians on TV, we react. We say, that is not grace. That is not love. That's not who we are. So we have a tendency to overcorrect ourselves and say, uh, we don't want to be like the judgmental churches, and so we are going to be unjudgmental. And that to be truly graceful and loving means that we shouldn't confront people. In fact, to point a flaw out in somebody else's life, to try to correct a brother and sister in Christ is actually unchristian. This is not the case. Similar distortion is a distorted view of the Christian life. That because we have been brought into this, into the love of Christ, without anything, uh, anything on our own, that uh, we really have nothing to say. In fact, we can get swept up into this idea uh, that the culture tells us that uh, you don't bother me, I won't bother you, that faith is really just a private affair, it's just, it's just something we do by ourselves. This is not the case. Jesus tells us, this, but the Bible tells us that we are a body, which means that we're connected. That what you do affects me and what I do affects you. Our faith, whether we, we, we say so or not, it isn't a private affair. It's something that is deeply, deeply uh, communal, which is why we're called to be in Christian community. This is not just my opinion, though. This is what God's word says. And that's the third distortion that we often see is a distorted view of the Bible. Oftentimes when people quote the Bible, it's, uh, it can be taken out of context. And I think one of the uh, biggest passages that is taken out of context is Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus says, Do not judge lest you be judged yourself. But what Jesus is saying here is not do not judge, but do not be hypocritical in your judgment. I think that's key. Key to how we are to act, to who we are. We are, to, we are called to be gracious. We are called to be loving. We have been brought into this Christian life because of Christ. And we know this because of the truth that God has revealed to us through his word. We have a truth, a powerful truth. What God has laid out before us, how he intended us to live. It's not because he's, he's, he just wants us to, he's, he's overbearing and, and, a, and, a, and a obnoxious ruler, but... He does it because he loves us. To be gracious and loving oftentimes means correcting each other, getting each other's back, pointing out when somebody is, is going down the wrong path. If you have a friend, a neighbor, or a family member who, who you think is making poor choices, the loving thing to do is to go to them and correct them. That may seem a little crazy, but 
Uh, I think deep down we all know this. How many people in here are parents? Any parents? Like half of you? Over half of you? As parents, would it be, would it be loving to let your kid do whatever you want? To never say no to your child? Let me ask that again. Would it be loving to let your kid do anything they want and to never tell them no? No, no, absolutely not. I'm not a parent, but I know this because I was a tyrant as a little kid. Uh, you can ask my parents about this, but uh, my siblings would uh, be way more open to telling you all the stories uh, of my childhood. If... Uh, if my parents didn't ever tell me no, if they never corrected my ways, if they never, uh, if they never uh, grounded me, I would not be here today. I'd probably be in jail. I was an awful kid. That's the truth. Oftentimes, love, it may not look like love in the moment. But that's the case. But in the long run, we see that it actually was the loving thing. We see this in, this, uh, in the life of Israel. In Israel's history, there was a point where they were so far from God that they were sacrificing their very own children to idols. That's how far they had strayed. And so God uh, sent a foreign nation to come and attack them and to haul them away as slaves. And for 70 years, they served in a foreign land uh, to foreign, uh, to foreign people for 70 years. And this was horrible. This seemed like a horrible thing. But God did this because he loved his people. He hated seeing his people stray from him. And so even though it doesn't seem like a loving thing to let his people uh, fall, to let his people become slaves once again, it ended up being the most loving thing to, he did, the most loving thing he could do, because they, he brought him back, back to him, reminding him, reminding them of the love that he has. Jeremiah 20, uh, 29.11, it's that famous, famous verse that says, I, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not, to, uh, not for harm. These are the words that God spoke to the people in this moment. Promise that he was still their people. Even though, even though it seemed like he had, he had uh, forgotten them, he was still there. That is a loving and gracious thing. And we were called to do the same thing. In a lot of Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, Titus, Philemon, all these books, a lot of it is correction. Encouraging Christians to live according to God's will. According to God's law. So we're called to do that as well. And we should do that. We should talk to someone who is making bad decisions because, well, the truth is always better. The lies that we hear all around us that you do you and I'll do me or, uh, or faith is a private affair or you stay in your corner and I'll stay in mine. All these things, they may sound nice and they may keep the peace on the surface, but eventually they crumble. But when we speak the truth, we can't be shaken, Partic- especially when that truth comes from the creator of the universe. So we should speak it. But how? There's a lot of examples of uh, brothers and sisters correcting one another in Scripture, but I think one of the greatest examples uh, comes from Second Samuel, right in the middle of David's reign. 
Um, David, King David, he was one of the great kings of Israel, if not the greatest king. Um, he's, uh, he is called, uh, he's a king who was called a man after God's own heart. And yet, one summer, as, uh, as Israel was off to war, uh, he shirked his royal duties, and, and instead of leading the men in the front line, he stayed home. And he spent his days lounging around in his palace, and he spent his evenings up on, his, up on the roof. And one evening, he, he looked across the street, and he saw uh, one of his general's wives bathing on the rooftop. I can just imagine that he turned his eyes away, but then thought to himself, well, nobody's here. So he started looking a little bit more, and then he call, had one of his tenants go and uh, call on Bathsheba and bring, him to, uh, bring her to him. David then seduced her, and uh, the result was that she was pregnant. Well, at this point, David could have uh, David could have repented, but he didn't. He wanted to keep everything under wraps, and so he went one step further, and he he had Uriah. The general, Bathsheba's husband, come back from the front line and spend a few days in Jerusalem, hoping that he'd spend some time with his wife. But Uriah was such a good general, such a faithful servant, that he didn't do that. He held his post, and even when he came back to uh, Jerusalem, he thought him, uh, that it was unwise, that it was unfair for him to be able to, uh, to enjoy his family when his men were off fighting. So he slept outside of the gate. That's how good a guy this guy, uh, Uriah, was. Well, David was furious. So the next thing that David did was, after Uriah was back out in war, he told some of his other generals that uh, when, uh, in the heat of a battle, get yourself in a position that would be impossible to hold, and then at the last moment, have everybody pull back, leaving Uriah all by himself. So that's what happened. As, Israel, as the Israelites were fighting, they fell back, and Uriah was left to defend himself, and he died. That was the end of it. Word got back, from da- uh, back to David, and, and he heard uh, Uriah was dead, and he thought that was the end of it. He went to Bathsheba, he comforted her, and then he brought her into his house, made her, her, wi- made him, uh, made her his wife. David thought, that's it. That's it. Nobody's going to know anything. Nobody's the wiser. Nobody in Israel knows about this. I'm good. But even though people in Israel didn't know about it, God knew about it. Like God so often does, he sends somebody to point that out, to correct them. That's what he did. God sent his mouthpiece, his prophet, Nathan, to go speak to David. Nathan, knowing David, he approached him in a way that he knew David would respond. So Nathan went to David's court and he told David this story. He said, David, there is this really rich man. He has lots of land, lots of animals. He's got tons of sheep, really well off. Well, this rich man, he also has a neighbor who's extremely poor. And the only thing he has is a little ewe lamb. This poor man, he loved his lamb. He fed it. He let the lamb sleep in his bed. He treated it as if it was his very own child. Well, David, that rich man, he had some guests over. And the rich man had his servants go to the poor man, rip the lamb out of his arms, and then gave it to his cooks, 
and served it to his guests. David, even though he was sinful, he was not a corrupt king, was outraged at this injustice. He stood up out of his seat and he said, this cannot stand. The man who did this must die. At this, Nathan said, David, this man is you. You are this man. You killed Uriah. You have been given everything, and if you ask God, he would give you even more. And yet you killed Uriah for his wife. At this moment, David fell on his face, confessing that he had sinned, asking for repentance. And Nathan, standing there, said, David, you are forgiven. God forgives you. This is an incredible, incredible account for a number of reasons. But I think there's a lot that we can learn here. That we can learn from this, uh, from the interaction between these two brothers, uh, brothers in God, brothers in Christ. First off, Nathan was super clear on the issue. He didn't tiptoe around the issue at all. Now, I think all of us can agree that murder and adultery are wrong. Right? Uh, that's a pretty clear-cut issue. But I think most of the issues in our lives are not so clear-cut. Uh, if somebody in your life has murdered, I, I think uh, all of us could say that we would be more than willing to go and talk to them. Um, but a lot of things aren't like that, are they? Most things, it seems like, ah, is it really an issue? You're at a party and... and you notice that that uh, that one of your family members, uh, it, they seem to always get just a little drunk. <sighs> Should I confront them? Do I do something about that? I don't know. In these gray moments, when we feel as if something is wrong, we should pray. Nathan was a prophet of God, and so, as you can imagine, he spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time talking to God. And even though none of us here are are prophets, we still are the people of God, and we should still be in prayer. And so, in these circumstances, we should always be going to God and asking, "Is uh, is this against your will, Lord? Is this unwise? And if so, we should meditate on it. We should pray on it. And then we should approach them. Approach them, not saying, I think there's something wrong, but be clear about what is wrong. Second of all, we should be gentle. We should be wise and we should be honest. Again, Nathan. He didn't approach David in a way uh, that, that made himself be, uh, seem, uh, he didn't come into David in a self-righteous manner. He approached David in a way that David would respond. He knew that David was a just king. So he brought David to see that he had committed an incredible injustice. And he did it in a gentle manner. And he did it in a wise manner. That's how we should be uh, as well. We shouldn't be pointing the finger. We shouldn't be trying to make ourselves uh, puff up ourselves or, or make the peop- uh, make the person seem as if uh, they're nothing. We should still be loving and gracious to them. And we'll get back to that. Thirdly, we should be 
not only praying for our own actions, but praying for their heart, that they be receptive, that they be open to hear what you have to say. Because when we correct somebody, when we are, are trying to bring somebody back into the will of God, we're not really just talking for ourselves. What we're doing is we're talking on behalf of God. We want them to be receptive. And we want all of these things to happen. We want this person to be corrected. Not because uh, and we, we go to them, not to make ourselves, uh, to lift ourselves up as, as if we're more righteous or holy than they. We don't do it because uh, we're, we, we, we do it because ultimately we want them to be with us forever. Sin is a serious thing. I think we can all agree on that. I think each and every one of us, myself included, doesn't always treat sin as if it's a serious thing, but it is. It was so serious, in fact, that God thought it, uh, God sent his very own son to take care of it. That's how important, uh, that's how, how deadly sin was. That's how damaging sin was. He didn't send a prophet. He didn't send some human to take care of it. He sent his very own son. And sin has infected us so much that we can't even, we don't even see it, that we can't even do anything about it, which is again why he sent his son, because we cannot save ourselves. Jesus Christ died on the cross to remove that sin and to bring us back into God's family, to bring us back into God's will, so that on the last day we will be with him forever, that we will be resurrected in God's eternity. In the new creation. This is what Christ has done for us. And as brothers and sisters of Christ, we want to remain as a body. So it's important that when we see one of, uh, when we see one of ourselves straying, we go to them. Because sin is dangerous. To let sin uh, fester is dangerous. And so when we go to somebody... We don't just want them to, re- we don't want, we just don't want them just to see that they're wrong. We want them to repent. So that we can bring, uh, remind them of the grace that God has brought to them through Jesus Christ. We want to assure them of the grace and forgiveness of our Savior. This is what God has done for us. We have been brought into an incredible life. Christ has exchanged his life for our own, and he has brought us into his own body, into the into Christian community. So let's do that. This week I encourage you, if there's somebody in your life uh, who, who you're worried about, who you see is making poor choices, pray for them. Ask for wisdom to speak to them. Ask for courage to speak to them, because it's hard. It's difficult. And then... I encourage you sometime this week, schedule a time to sit down and talk with them. When you do, be gentle, be gracious, and remember that the purpose of all this, the reason why we want to correct somebody, is not to shame them, is not to destroy them, but to bring the grace and love of God into their life. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our heart and our mind until Christ comes again. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your Son, that through him we have life. 
Lord, that you, you thought us so important that, that you didn't just, uh, you didn't just try to fix us through, uh, have ourselves try to fix ourselves, but you, you sent us your son to remove this sin from our life and to give us the hope of eternal life with you, Lord. God, I ask that you, uh, that you be with us as we, uh, as we live in this community and, uh, give us the courage and the words, uh, to correct one another and to, uh, to bring each other into your will, Lord. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.